you're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. The show is brought to you in partnership with Progressive Masculinity and HeadTeacherChat.com. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the We Lead Well podcast. I'm Vicky Maguire. I'm an education and leadership coach. I do lots of work with schools, school leaders, head teachers to coach them, to help them to create coaching communities with their staff. And I've also created the Women Lead Well Network, which is a supportive environment for female school leaders. I suppose you could say it's a it's a shared space where women in education come together, support each other and champion each other, connect with like-minded women, share their challenges and just be assured that they're not on their own. So if you are a female school leader, then come and join us in the network. I'm offering free membership to the network. We've had lots of new members lately. So hello to all our new members in the Women Lead Well Network. Or if you are a male school leader or a teacher in a school and you know some female leaders who you think would benefit from joining the network please tell them to email me it's vicky at weleadwell.co.uk or go on the website at weleadwell.co.uk and drop me a message and you'll be very welcome to join us in the network this episode today is sponsored by Schools UK, who provide supply cover insurance, and they've been doing this for 24 years, so they've got some really good experience. I will only be sponsored and I will only partner with organisations that I really believe in and I think share the same values as me. And what I love about Schools UK and why I have them to sponsor the show is that I think they offer really great benefits because every school needs supply cover insurance and especially at the moment with the landscape that we're in I know that your supply costs are absolutely spiraling so you can get insurance with Schools UK and they provide lots of added benefits so they provide a well-being package and that's for all of your staff not just your teaching staff but for all of your staff that includes face-to-face -face counselling and I know a lot of wellbeing packages include counselling, but they're not necessarily face-to-face. -face. So this one does include face-to-face -face counselling. Musculoskeletal services like acupuncture or physio, you can get four to five sessions of that. And they have access to a GP, which I think is absolutely amazing because I think a lot of teachers, a lot of school leaders don't go to the doctors because at the minute it's so difficult to get an appointment. You can't get time out of school. So with this package, you can just jump online and get yourself an appointment that very day with a GP, which I think is amazing. If you want to get a quote, and then if you decide to go ahead with, with the quote, you go to schoolsuk.com and when you go ahead with the quote, if you put the code We Lead Well Podcast, that will entitle you to a 10% discount, which can be absolutely massive that would provide you with a great saving and I know how tight school budgets are at the moment as well so that's schoolsuk.com who are sponsoring the show today so on the show today oh, I'm so so pleased to welcome John Cosgrove John's a retired head teacher he worked for 12 years in secondary school before moving into primary as a year six teacher then he became a deputy head and then he was a head I first found John on Twitter and just absolutely loved 
the things that he was posting, they resonated so powerfully with me, my values and my philosophy about education. He's written some absolutely great blogs. So I'd highly recommend you go on his WordPress site, just type in John Cosgrove on a Google search and you'll have access to all of his blogs there. He's written some amazing blogs, really, really great. And I wanted to, I wanted him to come on the show today and share his wisdom because he's got so, so much of it. So we've talked about all sorts of things. It's quite a long interview, but please do listen to it because John is just brilliant. And the things that he says and the experiences that he shares, I think could make a massive difference to your practice as a teacher or as a school leader. We talk about the importance of a holistic approach to education and how inclusion is so important. We also discuss building relationships and how that's the foundation for effective leadership, the importance of trust in schools and how you create a unified staff, doing what you believe is best for the children and not what's best for Ofsted, the uniqueness of schools and just so much more. You are going to absolutely love John. I'm sure you're going to love him just as much as I did. So here's the interview. It's John Cosgrove. Enjoy. John Cosgrove, welcome to the We Lead Well podcast. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. And thank you for inviting me. It's a, a pleasure and a privilege to be here. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. I'm really grateful to you for coming and joining us today because I've been following you on social media for a while and I have read lots of your blogs and I really love the things that you say about education. So I'm sure that there is so much that we can talk about that will help our listeners today. Can you start off by introducing yourself to the listener and just giving them a flavour of who you are, what you do, a little bit about your career and where you are now and what you do? which I think I said is retired and <laughs> um, yeah. yeah it's probably not is it so well I uh, yeah my name's John John Cosgrove um, I taught for 40 years more than 40 years um, started in the end of the 70s and I uh, went to, to to college initially in 1973 and and, um, and so I, it's a very long time ago and I remember doing a um teaching practice in the long hot summer of 1976 anyway wow. i started off in yeah and i That's started when i was in my pram but <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. well, i i said that to, to to a few teachers at at school um not so long ago and they looked at me completely blankly because they weren't even born then so <laughs> i do no. feel like sometimes yeah um but then i started in secondary and thoroughly enjoyed that worked for 12 years in secondary schools um and one of my first jobs was primary liaison. And so I used to go around to our feeder primary schools, of which there were many because the, the school was in Cornwall in a relatively rural area or semi-rural area. And there were lots of small primary schools that, that, that um, we were partners with. And so I used to go around the, the primary schools and talk to the children and talk to the staff. And I became it became clear to me that actually primary school was probably where I ought to be. Um, I was enjoying the work in, in secondary and there are differences about the work in primary but there are some things you miss as well that there, there are some things in secondary that that are really um, really attractive and, and, and make it a, a really good job but in primary you're able to work with the same children for the whole week you're able to to 
take a holistic view of, of their um, of their development. And so anyway, cut a long story short, I moved into to primary in the early 90s. And then after a, a while as a year six teacher, I, I was initially a peripatetic teacher. I was a, a section 11 teacher in London. And section 11 was money that was given to schools for employing staff to work with children for whom English was not their first language. And as my um, as my uh, expertise, my my subject was Spanish and French. Um, I was, I felt I was qualified to work in in this role, um, and I did. And again, I enjoyed that, and and it allowed me again to to be in different classrooms in different schools, um, working with different teachers and following. It was almost like an apprenticeship for primary teaching, and so then I became a year six teacher. Then I moved into being a deputy head in Cornwall, um, was a deputy head for a while, um, acting head, and then went on to headship in Reading, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and then we retired in 2019. My wife and I both retired. My wife was also a primary head in Reading. Um, she was head of three different schools at different times. And uh, we, we moved back to Cornwall to retire and have then found lots of things to occupy our times, mostly I have to be honest, our grandchildren. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. It's. It, I, I don't know how you did that. That was a bit of a potted history in no more than about one minute. So well done for that. I don't know if any other guests have managed to do that and got a really good flavour there for the, the things you've experienced. One of the questions that comes to mind there is, because I wonder this sometimes, I obviously, I was a deputy head in a high school and I always had uh, my... I suppose my goal was to be a head teacher and things got in the way and I, I, I never have done it. But I'm a little bit the same. I do a lot of work now with primary leaders. Um, and obviously, you know, I've gone back to the primary with my stepson. And I think I think I would prefer to be a head in a primary school. And I wonder, I think there are lots of listeners out there probably who work in secondary leadership or primary leadership, maybe, you know, and think, could I lead, actually, could I lead a primary school? I know a little bit more about the curriculum in primary school because I've been doing the work with um, primary teachers and leaders. But do you think it's possible that, I mean, you did it, you went from secondary into primary. Do you think it's possible if you lead in a secondary school to then lead in a primary school? Is it essentially the same thing? I think it is essentially the same thing. Children are the same. Teaching and learning is is similar. The differences are the expectations. So, for instance, in the secondary school now, you have, in my day, it was, well, originally it was O-levels <laughs> and CSEs, but, but then it was GCSEs. Um, and you have the, the requirements of the examination board and the examination syllabuses and all those pressures and things mm. and, and the progress measures that go with that. Whereas in primary, uh, yes, there are SATs, but, but you're, not, you're not working at that same level of academic pressure um, and the, the the children in primary you can have a more as I, I use the word holistic and I think that's a good word a, a holistic relationship with them a, a holistic experience with them you get to know families a lot better you get yeah. to know the the, the 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 whole child in in a in a very real sense whereas in secondary 
you can take your subject to a higher level, which is great. You can have a much more mature relationship with the children. I mean, in primary, nobody gets your jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I used to make jokes all the time in secondary and the children would laugh. I don't know whether they were just um, appeasing me or, or just feeling sorry for me. They used to laugh at my jokes and I used to laugh at their jokes. Um, but in primary, that, that tends not to happen, not quite, quite the same way. Um, also, you're able to have discussions with children in, in, in secondary at a, at a different level. You know, yeah. they'll, they'll see more in a text, in, in something that you're reading than they yeah. were in primary. But one of the things that, 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 that I found quite frustrating in a secondary school was that when I was um, teaching, and as I say, I was a teacher of Spanish and French. When I was teaching in my first week, I was teaching what was then called a year two class. And a little boy in this year two class, so it, it was a bottom set second year. Now, I, I don't, I'm not sure you should really have bottom sets in second year. But anyway, you, we had a bottom set. Well, second. you won't get any argument from me on that, John. I've <laughs> expressed my views loudly on this podcast many, many a time about um, about sets and bottom sets. But anyway, carry yeah. on. <laughs> well, well this, this little lad was, was, was a case in point, I think, because... Um, we were doing then situational French. So the idea was that, 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 that we, these children were bottom set, so they weren't going to go on to do O-level French. So we, we were um, doing with them little situations. They would learn a script. They would learn how to do something in France. And then we would test them on that and give them a certificate for, for the situation. And the first situation was buying an ice cream. And the, the, the conversation went, une glace, oui, une glace. Quel parfum? And then the child would choose what flavour the, 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 of ice cream they wanted and, and they learnt to say fraise or um, chocolat or whatever it was. Um, and so first, first lesson with this year two class, I'm, I'm standing there with a flashcard in front of me and I'm holding up a picture of an ice cream and I hold it up and say, une glace, répétez. And the children cooperated and the lesson went on and I became aware that there was a boy at the back who was saying nothing, taking no part whatsoever. So I had a look at my little seating plan and I said, oh, um, Malcolm, Unglas, repet. He said, can't do that, sir. So I said, no, Unglas, repet, Unglas. Can't do that, sir, it's French. Can't do that, can't do French. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually, he had been very, uh, very, skillfully convinced that he couldn't do French and he'd been convinced to the extent that he had no intention of trying and he he knew there was no point in him trying and although I taught him not just that year but the next year as well at the end of year three he was it was a great relief to him he was able to give up French <laughs> but I taught him for, for two years and I don't think I taught him a single thing whereas if I had been in a relationship with him where I was teaching all his subjects I might well have had the relationship with him where I could have persuaded him that yeah actually there was some point in in, in trying his French yeah. because you can say une glace <laughs> whether you're English French Cornish whatever um and if it did um turn out that that, that really he had no chance whatsoever of learning to say une glace well, we could then maybe give him a little bit of English or a little bit of something else that might help him as well. He was also a boy halfway through um, year three, which, of course, is now a year nine. Um, 
halfway through year three, he started spelling his surname differently. And I, and I said to him, um, what is your surname? Because on all our records, it's this, and, and, and you're now writing it as that. And he said, don't know, don't know, sir. <laughs> now, it might have been helpful if, if I had been responsible for his overall development, if I could have actually gone through how to spell his name. <laughs> yeah. But so so that holistic approach to, to, to the children, that 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 involvement in all aspects of their learning, that responsibility for all aspects of their development is, I think, what is really special about primary teaching. Secondary teaching, you can have that relationship with the students, which is on a different level, much more mature, much more adult relationship. Uh, and that's nice as well. And you can see them develop and grow and, 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 and they can be more skilled at things. And when you have the, the school production, they can play the violin and they can play the flute because they're at that stage. Whereas at primary level, that's rarely possible. Occasionally yeah. you can do that, but, but rarely. Um, so yes, it's the same thing. And transfer, I think, is possible. And I think some people sometimes talk about them as if they're different worlds and as if it's impossible to transfer from one to the other. But people do make that transfer very successfully. And mm. and, and yeah, it is possible. And, and they have their attractions. I think one of the things that makes me think it, it is possible is because for me, I don't know about you, you've much more experience as a, as a leader than I have, but leadership is about building relationships. At the, at the heart of effective leadership is being able to build relationships with people. And I think that's the same whether you're in secondary or primary. I think the other the other things, you know, they're, they're quite superfluous, aren't they? You can very quickly update yourself on curriculum and, you know, the pragmatic things to do with mm. the, the the development of your school or whatever it is you, you do. Because in, in a high school, I can't possibly know the maths curriculum, the geography curriculum, the history, the French, you know, mm. I, I can, you know, I would, I would make sure I'd got all the details from the exam board about the, the exams and the, but I knew nothing about how a maths lesson should be taught pedagogically. Mm. So I'm assuming that, you know, in the primary school, you, you have people who are, who have that knowledge and you develop it as you go along, but mm. leadership is about building relationships, would you say? And that's the same regardless. I absolutely agree. And I, and I also think you're making an excellent point there that nobody, whether it's primary, secondary, FE, any um, strand of teaching, any, any uh, level of teaching, nobody can possibly have a monopoly of knowledge. Nobody can know everything about everything. In primary school, for instance, I had an excellent deputy in my last role who was fantastic with infants and in early years. Now that was not my strength and, mm -hmm. and I would never dream of saying to her, well, you can't do this or you can't do that because she knew what she could do and she was fantastic at it and she taught me. And in similarly in secondary, uh, as, you, as you know, because you've taught secondary, um, quite often you will find that, that there's an odd period or two in the week that doesn't fit in with your subject. So you might be asked to, to, to cover food, a, food technology, for example, yeah. I have to teach. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I, I was um, one year, um, I was asked to, to take um, two periods a week of PE. And now PE in the primary school is one thing. PE when you're teaching 15 and 16 year olds, um, 
was not my area of expertise and 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 so i had to have sort of a a, a a guide handed to me each week saying this is what you do and that's how you do it and so on um and i didn't really i mean i suppose i could see when somebody was kicking the ball better than somebody else but i couldn't really tell you why mm. <laughs> yeah. and, and how to make them better so yeah it, it, it it's um it's impossible i think to to know all the internets of everything it is about relationships it's about teamwork it's about trusting other people mm. and it's about knowing all the time that you've got things that you can learn you know that i, I mean one of the things i really found helpful when i was when i was a um, secondary as a, when i was a primary head for 12 years in, in in reading was that the team i had were fantastic the team were were were, were really good at what they did and you know the, the early years teacher would say to me that the reception teacher would say to me can you come in and, and do this work with the children uh, and this is what we want you to do <laughs> <laughs> and in a similar way um when i was in in a secondary school and i was teaching um that i was responsible for primary liaison and one of the things that that i had to do was i had to to organize the assembly rotor for the for the first years um who, who came in and so we had this assembly rotor and i used to say to the head teacher and the head teacher changed i had a different head teacher after a couple of years um but i used to say to the head teacher would you come in on week two and do this and this is what i want you to say <laughs> say it in your own words and, 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 and use your own experiences to illustrate it but this is the message and this is what i want you to say and, and to, um so you do have to trust your team you do have to to, to work together and and it really is important that, that you do work together i often think that the schools that are not successful the schools where things go wrong is where staff are not working together that they're, they're, they're not a team um and i have seen this i've never um been in a school where the staff haven't been united but but i have oh actually that's not true <laughs> that is not true um i i i there was a very difficult situation in one school i worked in where where the staff were in factions and the head and the deputy were at loggerheads and there were some who were on the side of the head and some were on the side of the deputy mm. and that made things so so difficult and it meant that people would not cooperate with other people on mundane levels and 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 that was really toxic and that made life difficult for everybody and made life difficult for the children so yes well as a school leader i've i've always worked in schools where, where the staff were united and were trying their best and were supporting each other and you have to support each other and it, one of the things you said was trust and I, um it makes me sad to say it but i think that you know that is the foundation on which relationships are built and probably the best schools trust their staff to do the job that they've employed them to do unfortunately i think because we exist in a, a world of high stakes accountability that trust has been eroded and i think you know scrutinizing everything to the nth degree and not that i'm not saying you shouldn't monitor what's happening in your school i absolutely think you should but there i think there are ways to do it that are not top down and draconian but i think that that ofsted etc school league tables has meant that schools and school leaders are so worried about being 
graded mm. inadequate or even requires improvement that they over scrutinize everything and the trust is lost and i think that unfortunately you know i, I do one-to-one coaching with i've coached well over 100 school leaders now and it's pervasive it, it makes me really sad that so many of the school leaders and head teachers who I coach, you know, feel pressure, external pressures in such a way that, you know, there is a lack of trust in the profession. I completely agree. And one of the really pernicious effects of this is that people are constantly looking over their shoulders thinking, what do Ofsted want? Yeah. What will the inspectors be looking for? Several years ago, quite a long time before the latest Ferrari over Offset um, arose, I was talking to somebody who went on within a couple of years to become a regional schools commissioner. And she said she'd been meeting with, with um, senior officials at the Department for Education in a, in a different role. And they'd said to her, well, People constantly say that Ofsted demand this and Ofsted demand that, and Ofsted actually don't make those demands. Why do people think they do? And she said, she, she, she actually said to them, well, it's very simple. What happens is an Ofsted inspector says to somebody, well, that was really good. That was a really good thing to do. And then other people feel they have to do the same thing. Although they may be in a different context, they may be in a different school, that Ofsted inspector has said it's a good thing, so I must try to do it. And then the number of good things multiplies. The number of things that you should do, that Ofsted have said are a good thing, multiplies. And before you know where you are, you're working an impossible load to try and second guess what the inspector might be looking for. And the inspector, when they come, is probably looking for something different. I, I remember it's almost a, a, a staple of, of, of teaching folklore, but I remember several occasions when a school would organize a, a mock Ofsted so that they, they could have a team in who were made up quite often of people who were Ofsted inspectors, but they would do a sort of preliminary mock uh, inspection so that you'd know what to, to do and what your challenges were for when the real excuse me when the real inspection came and it's as i say it's almost a staple of teaching folklore that the mock ofsted quite often bore no relationship whatsoever mm. to the real ofsted i know schools where the mock ofsted came in and said they were inadequate and a few weeks later along came the real ofsted to say they were glowing they, they were good with outstanding features or the other way around i've known schools where the mock ofsted said they were good and the, the real inspectors came along in a very short space of time and said, no, this is requires improvement. And the, the subjectivity of those judgments means that all this second guessing of what Ofsted want or what Ofsted don't want is actually wasted energy and wasted time. And all these prescriptions of you must do this or you must do that or you must try this or you must try that because Ofsted want it, actually no what you must do is what you believe is right for the children in front of you that you believe is the best thing for them and then Austin will come along and they'll see what you're doing I'm so glad you've said that because I think I've said that on the podcast so many times like my view is take Austin out of the picture and think about 
what you have here because and, and i've said this so many times as well not even with regard to ofsted but with regard to looking for the next or the silver bullet for example you know the thing that's worked in in the school there or school and we've, we've really got this terrible obsession in in schools in england of thinking that we can solve problems in the click of our fingers that if we just do that that's worked there and we we put that in place in our school we can solve all our problems and it, it's a little bit the same with the Ofsted thing well if we do this or we do that we can get a good Ofsted or we can improve our results or whatever but actually you've got to know your school your context and every single school I always think of them like they're like a unique organism like a like a person is it has a lot of similarities like you and I have got a lot of similarities you've got two ears there and a nose and and a head and <laughs> but we're unique individuals yeah. uh, all the other things come together to make me Vicky and you John mm. and I think schools are the, the same they've got so many different contextual features that what works in one doesn't necessarily work in another yeah do you know what I, I you're absolutely right on that absolutely right and i used to talk to my staff about that you know at least once a year in a staff meeting i talked about it. and i think it's a, there's a really good analogy there with football management because you see these people who are fantastic football managers david moyes does a fantastic job at everton so they give him the job at man united and it all falls apart yeah so he moves from man united he gets the sack because he just can't do it he goes to West Ham and suddenly West Ham are flying again. <laughs> yeah. and, and what works in one context with one group of players absolutely does not work in another context with another group of players. Partly, as you've said before, it's because it's about relationships and because everybody is different and the relationships can be different. And partly because you've got to get out of this system. Each football club is trying to do the same thing and it's a relatively simple thing to do. And, and each coach is trying to, to, to find the tactics. But actually, what works with one group of people does not work with another group of people. And as teachers, we've all seen this. We have taught a lesson that's gone really well. And we've come out thinking that was fantastic. And so we've put that in our bank. And the following year, we've gone into the class and we've taught the same lesson and it's fallen completely flat and they've learned nothing and they've looked at you as if you're talking Greek and you think oh that was a dreadful lesson well no it wasn't a dreadful lesson any more than the previous one what was a, a fantastic lesson it was a lesson that worked with one group of children and didn't necessarily work with other characters in in, in another who, who had gelled in a slightly different way. And I think you do have to constantly remind yourself that when you get these things from a mat uh, or, or a mat of hierarchy that says, you must do this, 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 and this in your lessons, you actually have to recognize that the children in front of you are not the children for whom that lesson was necessarily devised. And, and you have to adapt, you have to, to, to change things because otherwise it doesn't work. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because all these things, they are, they are correct. And that's why research in education poses a problem and is difficult. But 
people will still say to you, even though I, I've said, take off that out of the equation, think about your school, what do your what do your children need? What do your staff need? And if you do that and you do it well, then Ofsted come in and say, Yeah, you're doing a good job. Mm. It, but people still say, oh, I, I couldn't do that. I have to know what Ofsted, I have to know what Ofsted are looking for. I have to, I, 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 I really can't. They've got this anxiety that's almost like mm. self-flagellation in a way. You know, you. Well, I think, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. But I think it's because the stakes are so high. Yeah. Now. Um, I mean, I, I I did make a conscious point that I was never going to say to. I, I, I resisted all the attempts by local authorities to do these mock offsteads. I wasn't having any of that. But I also made a conscious decision and conscious effort that I was never going to say to somebody, "You need to do this for offstead, or you need to do that for offstead." We didn't mention Ofsted. I wasn't interested in Ofsted um, until they arrived. Um, but you do have to recognise that if your school is, particularly if your school is is is, is not very secure and, and you're not feeling quite sure about what you're doing, the head could lose their job over this. Mm. Other people could lose their job. The schools could lose income. The schools could lose status the schools could lose children the schools could lose whatever good things have have been built up over the years so the stakes are very very high and the, it's a staple of, of um, psychological research that if you put big rats under extreme stress they will bite small rats if, if there are small rats around um, and if you put head teachers under a lot of stress and say you know you're going to lose your job over this you 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 this is very very high stakes you have to to succeed at your offstead then those heads almost inevitably will put pressure on others around them and those will put pressure again on others around them and before you have before you've gone very far you have a school where the pressure on some individuals is intolerable and that's what the pernicious effect of Ofsted that cascades down. And I can't really blame the head teacher who's feeling under a lot of pressure. Um, I mean, I, I, I was going to say I, I, I'm blessed with the fact that, 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 that I've got a sort of perspective. I've always had a sort of perspective, except that I don't know if I always have. I, I don't know if you were aware, but um, very early in the 80s when when my wife and i were, were, were very much younger we had a child who died and I have, um, yeah i'm yeah. sorry that you had to experience that john and it was awful it, it really wasn't it's the worst thing that's ever happened in my life and, and and there is nothing you can imagine that's worse worse than that and actually in a perverse kind of way that stood me in good stead because when you have Ofsted coming down and they say this or that, or when you have an advisor from the local authority saying this or that, or you have a parent shouting the odds at you, whatever. Oh, <laughs> I had a child who died. You, I'm sorry, but but that's not going to compare in any say, shape or form. And I don't blame people who, who feel um, under pressure and who feel pressured to act in particular ways, but my life experiences my my personal history meant that that that, that just wasn't something that, that that 
was going to affect me and it didn't um and that's not to say as i say that 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 it won't affect others because it does you know and, and, and it is pernicious mm. sorry that's changed the mood hasn't it? Gonna... <laughs> no it, it's it's it was making me think actually of you make because you made a comparison to football management but it's not the same in education, is it? Because if you're a football manager, I mean, David Moyes went to Manchester United and didn't make it work and probably got a three million pounds payoff when and they sacked job. him. Yeah. And, and and there's a new job waiting for him. Whereas in in education, it's it's not the same, is it? It's not you, yes. you know, you're not going to be sacked from one job. You don't get a payoff for a start and it's going to make it a lot harder to go into it. So I can I, I can understand why heads feel like that but one of the things that i in in the work that i do with school leaders and heads is getting them to recognize that when they are feeling that pressure they they're in survival mode their brain mm. yes. is, has gone into chimp mode or survival mode or whatever you call it and you you can't it, mm. it's hard to empathize when when you work in that high it, i suppose you, it's just that high arousal isn't it adrenaline mm. cortisol be just becoming used to that level of stress and it just becomes your norm but you can't empathize well with people it's difficult to build relationships and you don't make good decisions when mm. when you're in that zone all the time before we hear more from john i'd like to tell you a little bit about our amazing partner head teacher chat Head to Teacher Chat discusses lots of topics from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of Head Teacher Chat is to support head teachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of different information for schools to tap into. Head Teacher Chat is more than just a platform. It's a community, a support system, and a trusted companion in the ever-evolving journey of educational leadership. Whether you're looking for resources, community support, or expert insights, Head Teacher Chat is there for you every step of the way. To find the support you need or to join the conversation, head over to Head Teacher Chat's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn pages, or visit their website at headteacherchat.com. Head Teacher Chat. It's what head teachers are talking about. Now let's get back to the interview. And I, yeah, I completely it, agree. Yeah. But it's hard to but it's really difficult for for them to to come down from that because the threat, I guess, mm -hmm. is always there. That's why they're in survival mode on the lookout for things that might might cause harm. And I suppose the flip side of of course I would say you don't say well this is what Ofsted are looking for or we should do this because Ofsted want want this or want that because that is not not right at all but as a leader you have to prepare staff in your school for Ofsted don't you because especially in a primary school now if they come in and do a deep dive mm -hmm. it's they're expecting primary school subject coordinators or subject leads almost to know as much as high school subject coordinators or leads know yeah. and that's that's really difficult isn't it looking at i don't know what i was looking at but sort of the level of understanding of a of a subject i think i was marking some mpq um work that had been done and one of the one of the participants was she was writing about um 
what they do in English and they'd been looking at a fiction book and characters and exposition and blah 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 and that was the whatever the kids had to know and I said it's difficult this isn't it because how do you how do you put that alongside grammar like their their understanding of grammatical structures within that writing understanding and knowledge of writing and likewise you know history it's not just about knowing historical events is it and being able to put them on a timeline and recognize you know all these different things that have been going on in history it's about inferring and evaluating and yeah. and in a primary school like how how do you like have that knowledge and that deeper level of understanding of a subject and its application and its content and its pedagogy mm. in a way that when Ofsted come in and ask you all these questions <laughs> you can answer them so as a leader you you've got to be able to make sure that your staff are ready for that and can do that can't you yes and and that's absolutely right you, you're absolutely correct in that what i would say on it though is that my approach is you you have a subject coordinator whether it be history english maths whatever it is and you ensure that that subject coordinator has the access to training to resources that will yeah. allow them to do the job and my view and i have said this to, to to staff in the past my view is that actually you are doing what i have asked you to do and you are doing it very well or i would be asking somebody else to do it and in that case i am not worried about what ofsted say when they come in to see you because you are doing the job that is the best job you can do in these circumstances and there is a a, a a, a sort of side of me that thinks i mean you 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 you're absolutely right that the the football manager analogy doesn't work because um or doesn't work to that level because you know you don't get another job and so on but there is a side of me that says if you have a coherent philosophy if you have a coherent good reason for the things that you're doing then yes you can talk that through with Ofsted if, if they come and they say well actually so and so doesn't know very much about history and they're coordinating history you can talk them through and say actually the history in this school is taught very well because x y and z and so as a leader you have to know that the decisions have been taken and you have to know that they're being taken on the right basis but i really don't think that the basis that that, that ofsted wants something or ofsted will be looking for something is a good enough basis I've always worked on the basis on the, on the idea that that children have particular um, that they develop in a particular way. They have, have particular needs. They are all individuals. They need to be nurtured as individuals, um, and you give them what you believe is right for them, not what you believe somebody else thinks would be right for some other children, but what you believe is right for these children. We had. Um, a resource for children with autism, which I was very proud of. It was a fantastic resource. On a Wednesday afternoon, the some of the children in the resource, not all of them, but some of the children in the resource used to go riding. Now, that's not something that is on the national curriculum. That's not something that, that the Ofsted inspectors would be looking for, but it's something I could very 
readily justify it's something that i could say yeah absolutely fits with our philosophy it's what those children need at that particular moment now it's perhaps easy to see it when the children have a recognized diagnosis like autism when they have an education care and health plan when they have a individual education program all of those things are are um are built into to, to, to the difference that they have but actually all children are different and you know when we used to, to to make a big thing about differentiating the work and differentiating the the, the teaching i was always a bit um skeptical of that because you tend not to have three groups you tend to have 30 groups in a class of 30. <laughs> each child is individual and each child needs individual provision and sometimes one child might need something that the other children don't need so yeah my belief is that you have a coherent philosophy you do your best for the children you work with your staff so that everybody is all on the same page and everybody is is, is believing the same things and again that was one of the things that i i did find the staff i've said before the staff were fantastic and they were absolutely fantastic but they bought into what we were doing they bought into and, and the, the question there john is were the staff brilliant because you were a great leader like if, which <laughs> which comes first the chicken or the egg like are the staff great because you're a great leader or well i, I would, just great regardless of of that i would i would like to to to, <laughs> to believe that it was all down to me but i but it wasn't you know <laughs> i i i did have superb staff but they, they were really really good um i i had some teachers there who were just breathtaking you know in what they could do with the children and and and, and how well they they, they 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 worked with the children and their knowledge and their I looked at those teachers, some of those those young teachers in their early 20s, and I think, goodness me, when I was a young teacher in my early 20s, I didn't have a clue. I wasn't half as as, as good as this. And, and so they were. And and I think maybe I gave them a bit more freedom than they might have had in other places, freedom to express themselves. But that was because they were good, you know, and and, and, and they they could do this stuff and you, and you needed to trust them to do it. And yeah. And again, that's a chicken and egg, isn't it? It's a little bit of a, a, a sort of does, mm. is the trust there because you you can trust them or did they do what you expect them to do because you trust them? It's it's a, it, people would say it's hard when I say trust people because when you do, they'll they'll do what they yeah. need to do. I, I um I've got perimenopausal brain fog at the minute, so I'll I'll have an I'll, I'll listen to you and go. That's the question that I want to ask. And then when I want to ask it, it just drops out of my head for some reason. I think what I was going to say was that if I just, you see, if I just ad lib for 30 seconds, it comes back, it seems to reappear. Um, I think what I was going to say was, do you think it's really important then? You talked about philosophy and uh, as the head, that it's really clear that this is our educational philosophy in the school, this is what we value, these are our beliefs, that those things really come first in, in underpinning everything that you do. Would you say that's really key to? Absolutely, I, 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 I firmly believe that. Um, and again, this is one of my um, hobby horses, if you like. We had, I had devised a programme of assemblies and staff meetings which 
constantly reinforced the school's ethos, which, which constantly brought to the fore the things that we wanted the children to do. Um, yeah. We wanted the children to to be kind. We wanted the children to um, help each other. We wanted the children to support each other. We wanted the children to work hard. We wanted the children to believe in themselves. And all of those things, every school wants. But we made sure that all our assemblies reinforced those those um values we made sure that all our staff meetings they were they were mentioned they, they were brought to the fore and i think when you have those underpinning the, that that core of values that, that that is shared by all then it becomes much much easier to to work with the children much easier to work with the staff much easier for, for everybody to 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 be worked with, to work with it's interesting though i mean you you were saying about um about chicken and egg i i was asked a, a few years ago to to do some work with the school where the the head had had had, had to um move on abruptly and 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 the, 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 they were sort of rudderless and, and 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 they were they were in quite a difficult situation and and so i was asked to to, to go in there. i went in a, two or three days a week um which actually turned into more than two or three days a week sometimes but at the same time as being head of, of, of my of my own school and after a while uh, or well, not after a while but quite quickly it became apparent that one of their big issues was behavior management now the school i was i was head of was in a very challenging urban area it was an area of multiple deprivation it was an area where you know on the idaki scores it, it was in the lowest five percent of, of, of the, the country wow. and it was you know it, it was really but they were lovely children lovely parents lovely staff and so on but there's no doubt that it was it was a tough area so i i said to to the staff at, at the school i was working in which was in a, a a more affluent area i said to them look i'll arrange for you to come and just go around and have a look at what's happening at our school at my other school and and and, and you can pick up ideas and techniques and you and you can learn a bit about you know behavior management and so on so they did and and, and all the staff came we we, we set it up over three weeks and they all came and they spent a half day in the school or in some cases a day in the school we came back and then we had a meeting together and and, and i said well what did you think and they were all of them and they said it in different ways but they were all of them of the opinion that well actually it worked in your school because well the children are well behaved <laughs> yes but that what they hadn't seen was what was going on underneath you know that, that all that that the, the reason these children were well behaved was because the teachers were very very skillful and supported each other and if they found an issue that was difficult there was always somebody else who'd had an issue that was quite similar who was able to to say to them you know try this or try that um but you know the the, the chicken and egg was 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 quite marked there the, 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 the this other school the staff felt that actually the children needs to be well behaved before they could do the things that, <laughs> that would help them to be well behaved it's interesting that one because it just made me think the way that you described that and your you said you know the the children were lovely the parents were lovely 
is it a perception thing as well is it uh like i always say as a leader you've got to try to be positive and optimistic sometimes in a high school i don't know you know i'm assuming it will have been the same when you were in a high school because it was even when i started teaching that there were year groups that people would say oh and it'll be the same in primary school once it was a particular year group they're awful they're awful and then there'd be assemblies where it'd be like you are the worst year group we've ever had mm -hmm. in this school and then yeah. the kids would go woohoo let's live up to that label then whereas as a leader it's it's sort of your job to get staff to to see things through a positive lens because i think in teaching it's very easy to see things through a negative lens or these these mm -hmm. this class is so unmanageable or they, these children are but if you can create that culture of positivity and trying to see the best in people and the best in circumstances that you say, do you know, actually, yes, that child might have done that. But in general, these children are really lovely children. Mm. And going back to the other school and saying, you've got lovely children, like the, the children that you've got are so lovely that it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy then. They, they live up to the lovely you know you're expecting parents to come in and you're expecting interactions with them to be positive mm -hmm. and lovely and that's an important that's an important role of a school leader or a head teacher absolutely. to create that vibe yeah vibe. absolutely right and i think you know we all know it in, in all our lives in our daily lives in school life and work and everything if somebody is saying to you repeatedly God, you did that well. That was really good. Thank you for doing that. No, that. Then when they have to say to you, actually, that wasn't very good, was it? It's easier to take than if the only time they speak to you is when they say, you're not doing that well enough. Yeah. Um, and and let me give, give, give you a, a practical example. We had a little child um, in our school who, who was lovely little girl but she had had significant trauma as a child and there is no two ways about it she was a handful in the classroom she she was really she used to come i i would be be asked to come to to, to a class to to uh, because she was doing whatever she was doing jumping on tables throwing things around whatever and i'd go in and i'd say come and sit in my office and sometimes she'd be so wound up she'd say no and i'd say look you know if you're saying no to me then that becomes a big problem doesn't it you know anyway so so she she would generally be able to be talked talked into my office and, and she would come and she'd sit on the chair and then after she'd calmed down a bit we'd have a chat and you know just um but there's no doubt that she made teaching for the, the the staff around her really quite difficult she made lunch times quite difficult for the lunchtime staff she made break times quite difficult anyway towards the end of year five the local authority offered her a place in a transition resource so she went to this transition resource and the idea was that she would be there throughout year six and she would um, then be there in year seven and then in year eight she'd transition into a secondary school um, and so off she went and we kept contact. I, I, I went to see her a couple of times there and she came to see us a couple of times, but essentially she was educated in this transition unit. It was abruptly closed two weeks before Christmas. And I say abruptly on the Friday, 
she went into to her transition unit on the friday afternoon i got a phone call from mum saying they say they're going to shut it and we've got to come back to you on monday so wow. so they did she came back to us on monday and i said to mum right well don't bring her in at nine o'clock Let, let's do a bit of <laughs> we can't do a lot of transition but let's do a bit um bring her in at 10 o'clock and then we'll, we'll have a chat and so on now so she came into school at 10 o'clock and she walked down the corridor and on her way down the corridor with me i went to meet her at a reception and we came along to the office to have a chat before she went off to class and everything um, and on the way down the corridor we passed four different members of staff and every one of those members of staff knew that what was walking down the corridor because I, I put it on the weekly notices that she was rejoining us and every single member of staff knew this child is going to make our life difficult and every single member of staff smiled at her and said wow lovely to see you how are you isn't this great you know you're you're back with us it's really lovely and and they were genuine you know <laughs> they were and yes she she continued i'd like to say that 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 that, <laughs> that, that, that i was yeah. hoping that i was hoping the story had a good ending John. <laughs> <laughs> it has a good ending in the sense that she was with us she had her moments but she had nice moments as well. And she's now, I think, 17. I saw her last year. I was walking down the street and she was there. And she's happy and she's cheerful and she doesn't bear us any ill will. <laughs> um, but I do think that attitude, that smile from all of those people, those welcoming words made a huge difference. It, that, particularly that first week when she returned to us could have gone horribly wrong it really could have but it but it was yeah it was good and so yes going back to to, to what you were saying um i think the attitude that the, the the positivity is really important and i think you know it's one of those things you know you you, you drive into school in your car or you walk into school or you cycle into school however you get there and as you are on the journey you're putting on your your persona <laughs> putting on your, you know it might yeah. have a bit tough at home but actually now i'm i'm cheerful i'm smiling at people because that's what you've got to do as a leader yeah it, you role model it don't you yeah yes and i find there's nothing worse than a leader as well who smiles at you and says hello in the corridor one moment and then just walks past you the next because obviously yeah. they're you know caught up in some sort of i don't know they're dealing with something and it's and they just ignore you that's really difficult as well isn't it as a as a leader you've got to be you've got to do your best to be consistent absolutely yes yeah and, and i you, think sorry you, you you i was just going to say and i think if you if you do that i think you know it's hard to be that all the time apologize to someone i'm really sorry I, I feel like i walked past you on the corridor i was just want you to know i was caught up in this that and the other and i wasn't it wasn't you know i'm really sorry that that you recognize that you can't be perfect all the time and but but that you acknowledge that with staff as well i think that is really important and i think it's really important for teachers to acknowledge that with children sometimes yeah i, I remember um after two or three years in the post walking down the corridor and seeing my deputy who was a very experienced deputy um almost half kneeling almost genuflecting in front of a child a very small child and um and he was talking to him very seriously but but 
in quite low tones. So I didn't hear what was being said. I just saw this this situation. And um, and it was one of these children who's, you know, one of the usual suspects. If anything's happening in the school, it's probably him. So I said to my deputy next to my son, I said, oh, I saw you with so-and-so. Um, what was that all about? What's he done? So he said, oh, yeah, actually, he hadn't done anything. Um, but I'd blamed him for something and then I discovered it wasn't him. So I had to go and say sorry, didn't I? <laughs> and he had. He'd actually gone along and he had called the child to him and he'd said, look, I'm really sorry. I, it, this I didn't realise. And that meant something to the child. And it's something that was authentic and it was something that, that was um, that was going to affect the child and the teacher as well in the future and their relationship with each other. So I think, yes, it's important that people accept that they're not perfect. I think it's important that everybody accepts that people make mistakes. That was part of, you know, our assembly programme, that people make mistakes and, and, and you support them. You point out the mistake gently, but you support them. And all of this, you know, the positivity, the, 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 the cheerfulness, the, the um, acknowledgement of mistakes and so on it has to be genuine because it doesn't work if it's not you know it has to be if i'm saying thank you to a member of staff then yeah actually i'm grateful to that member of staff and the i suppose the the, the, the skill lies in actually finding the things to be grateful for you know you can be genuinely grateful for something but not have realized it until you've stopped to think hmm, what's she doing that you know and then you think oh yeah she's doing that yeah. thank you for doing that you know it does it doesn't work to just stand up in briefing and say thanks for all your hard work no because people just go yeah yeah okay right. they're, yeah. Just, they're just words aren't they it, it needs to be genuine and heartfelt and directed at someone for something yeah. in particular that they've done in general i don't think there's I, anything wrong with saying thanks everyone open evening was brilliant and you all did a great job but just but to yeah, there has to be more than that. And, 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 and that's that's absolutely fine in those general situations. But there are times when I mean, one of the things was I, I used to pop into people's classrooms every now and then. And um, and you'd always afterwards say, oh, I really like the way you do this or I really like the way you do that. You know, or that display was fantastic. You know, there's always something you can find that 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 actually is worth commenting on, worth recognizing. Yeah. Yeah. But it's really important that, isn't it? Because then people feel valued. If you just go in, oh, hi, you know, yeah, whatever, and then you don't say anything, people can very easily say, and and she walked in and she was there for a good 10 minutes and then I never got any feedback. She never said anything anything else. For, and that can really get people's backs up, can't it? Yeah, that can be very destructive to a working relationship. Yeah. <laughs> you, and I think you've got to... You've got to think about these things. To finish off, we've been talking for ages now. I don't even know what time we started talking, to be honest. I should I should, I should make a note, really. It's something that I need to do. One of the things that people really struggle with, and it's, it's interesting what you said about, you know, nothing can compare to the loss of a child. And I do training um, on difficult conversations. And I think that might be something that I include in there because people are terrified of difficult conversations. We've talked, I think a lot of our conversation, I think we're two probably very positive people, aren't we? We can we can see things in a very positive light. But as a leader, as a head teacher, you do have to have 
difficult conversations with staff or with parents. And I think one of the things that people do is they blow the conversations up out of all proportion before they have it. But I think, first of all, calling it a difficult or a challenging conversation is probably not a good idea. Yes. But if you if you compared it to like a lot of other things that you might have to do that are challenging or difficult, you know, where where would one of those conversations rank, first of mm. all, in, in terms of if you compared it to to those things? But they are things that you have to engage in. And it comes up so often when I'm having one to one conversations one-to-one coaching sessions with school leaders and head teachers you know having those open honest conversations how how do you that we don't have a lot of time left and you know we could probably do a whole episode on it but how do you approach those types of conversations because I think that they contribute to the culture of your school like your ability to engage in those conversations in a purposeful way is really important to developing the culture of your school and creating a much better environment for staff so how do you go about that what advice would you give to people for having those types of conversations i think the first thing is that you have to have developed a relationship with with staff in particular or with parents where they know there's not an agenda yeah they know we're having this conversation and it's not because I'm out to get you. It's actually, I like the things that you do in this way and I'd like the things you do in that way. And, and, and I really appreciate the work that you're doing and I really like the, the, this and that. But we do need to talk about, for instance, your math results. Or we do need to talk, for instance, about what's happening with that little group of boys who are constantly um, coming out of class to do things or we need to talk about the way you spoke to that those parents last week you know um and actually what i what i tended to find is that very often the staff themselves know what it is that they're not doing very well at they know that that that's that it's something they have to tackle and they're very keen to find some way in which they can be supported in that and so you, you start the conversation by saying, look, you know, um, I wanted to talk to you about X or Y. Excuse me. And they will pretty well much straight away know why it is you want to talk to them about X or Y. And they will now that there's two ways that, that that conversation goes. You would hope that they will not then go into defensive mode. Because if you've got that relationship with them where they know it's not an agenda, where they know you're not out to get them, then it tends not to be defensive. It tends to be a helpful, supportive conversation. Um, but if it goes into the defensive mode, then I have sometimes said, look, you know, this isn't getting us anywhere. Actually, I'm not here. And I'll, and I'll make it explicit. I'm not here trying to get rid of you. And I, I remember saying to one member of staff once, look, you know me, you know that I've seen you do this and you know that I've seen you work with so-and-so and you know that I've seen you do this and you know how much I think of you, but we do need to. And that's often enough to, 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 to bring them down and bring them round and so on. Um, I think it's very rare 
that somebody I, again going back to the school where where I was um, asked to, to, to provide some support because they had no head teacher and they were in a bit of a state. I remember watching a lesson and it was the worst lesson I had ever seen in my life. It was really, really dreadful. And at the end of the lesson, I did that Ofsted thing. I said to the teacher, um, well, what did you think? And she said, well, and then she burst into tears. Mm. And she said, I'm 50 years old, she said, and I just want to know that I can do my job properly before I retire. <laughs> oh dear, you know, but it was a difficult conversation. It was a conversation that, that um, having watched the lesson, I was thinking, how do I go about this? You know, and it was a school that I wasn't, you know, it wasn't the school that I was normally in. So I didn't have the relationship with her that I had with some of the other staff at, at the other school. Um, but it's rare that you will pick up on something that a teacher isn't very well aware of already. And they, and that's part of the defensiveness, isn't it? They, 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 they are almost waiting for this criticism because, but again, yeah. like that teacher, they want to do their job well. You said this right at the start. It, it's not often that people go into teaching because they want to do a bad job. You know, they, they absolutely don't no. do that. They want to do the best job. And if you can help and support them to do that, they will be grateful. And they don't need to be hectored. They don't need to be lectured. But sometimes they do need to be encouraged, supported. Um, and sometimes they need things pointing out that actually the reason this is going wrong is because you're not actually doing this or because you are doing that. Um, and I've generally found that that, that that people are absolutely fine with that, that, that mm. it does de de develop into really um, confrontational. And I, I do remember only once can I remember a confrontational conversation like that. I had a supply teacher who had um, come in to cover a maternity leave in reception and he had really upset a parent who came marching into me to say no oh, he said this and he said that and it was actually the mother of the girl i was talking about earlier right <laughs> and, and she was a formidable woman um so i i, I went and I, and, and I asked him to see me and i said um you know tell me i'm wrong i said but but did you actually say to mrs so-and-so and he said yes i did well her child wouldn't wouldn't do this and wouldn't do that and then she queried me on this and that i said oh. oh i said well we don't really do that sort of thing here and he said well i'm supposed to be here for the next six weeks do you want me to leave and i said um yeah actually i think i do <laughs> and so he did there and then um and i got a new supply teacher to cover the the, the reception class because you know, again, I didn't know him, but that was one occasion where he clearly wasn't, I mean, he knew what he'd done wrong, but he clearly wasn't going to be prepared to change. He thought that, that was that was how people behaved, you know. Interestingly, I met him um, about three or four years after that, just, just out in the street, and, and he stopped to say hello, and we, we had a chat, and he, 
he'd gone back to working in the tax office because he decided absolutely working with 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 children and parents in particular but you know sometimes that's the role of of the head teacher or school leaders as well isn't it to help someone to recognize that maybe this isn't the job for you and sometimes having those difficult conversations can help you do that i think what you know what what you say there is really important it's about building the relationships positive relationships with staff before you have to have a conversation like that because if you have relationships that are based on positivity when you have to have an honest conversation you know you, you're more likely to to get a positive outcome but also remembering that when people come to a meeting like that you, you need to empathize with them because they're probably they're probably really frightened of something yeah whether that's losing their job that they're not a very good teacher anymore that you don't like them or you don't think they're any good or that they have done something wrong and they're going to be in trouble for it <laughs> you know they're coming with all these emotions and i think you have to try to empathize with that and and listen as well don't you and you know yeah. ask ask you tell me things from your perspective what's happening here how's how's this you know happening for you and let them tell you and listen to them as well as part of that conversation is really important isn't it absolutely right yes and you also have to have regard to the timing the yes. circumstances the situation it's a, a different situation but when i was interviewing for staff which you know we, we did periodically every every year we'd have two or three staff that we had to appoint um i used to say to to, to the candidates before the interviews every single candidate i said after this interview i said i will ring you by the end of the day if you are successful at the job you'll be happy and so on or successful in getting a job you'll be happy and so on and that that'll be fine if you haven't been successful i said i will simply say to you today that we've decided not to appoint you but i will ring back within three days and then if you want proper feedback you can have it and and i said and we'll talk it through but the point is if i ring you today and say you haven't got the job you won't be listening to what i'm saying after no. and 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 that that was always i mean I, I did not like having to ring people and say you haven't got a job <laughs> no but it was part of it and, and and actually i think that's the best way of doing it because you put off that difficult conversation until a time when it was less difficult when they'd had time to process their disappointment and then it became more of a supportive conversation more of a you know you you might have emphasized this a bit more or actually you didn't do anything wrong but the successful candidate had more of this or more of that you know um and 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 so the timing the situation is is, is quite important as well ruby totally agrees with you on this one <laughs> so behind i think something's come to the door and she's yeah. barking away down there doing her job she thinks she's the guard dog um, <laughs> so and and i mean that's that's something else that I think is so important when people have had excuse me sorry <laughs> carry on yeah. um that you get that you get feedback from an interview i work with so many people who go for assistant head interviews who say i don't i don't know what i'm doing wrong i don't know and i think people find it really difficult to give 
mm. useful feedback, don't they? And sometimes what's the point if you've not taken that person on and you've taken other people on? But I think that's something really important to consider that that's, that's important and that's a good tip. <laughs> I'm so grateful to you for joining us today. I could talk to you all afternoon. I say this at the end of every single podcast that I do because I could just I could just talk about these things all day. But thanks so much for your time. There's so many things for people to take away from that, John. Really, really grateful to you. Um, if people want to follow you or they want to find out more about you, I just love reading your blogs and you, you know your posts and. Um, like I love the one about ADHD and the comparison with a girl with disabilities, you know, the swimming pool. I think that mm. was a that was a brilliant blog and would be great for anybody to read. Where can they find you? Uh, well, I I blog at John Cosgrove fifty five dot wordpress dot com. I think it's dot com dot wordpress anyway. Um, and I'm on Twitter at John Cosgrove four zero five at uh, John Cosgrove 405 and yeah that, that, that that's where and you I write am. books as well don't you I, 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 I noticed the other day that you <laughs> book of, it was a murder mystery story in a school and I thought oh that sounds yeah. I've written a couple and, and I'm halfway through a third <laughs> which which I enjoy I don't know uh, I don't know that it will make me a fortune but 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 I enjoy it and and um and I've had positive feedback from it so yeah <laughs> and that that's the important thing if you enjoy it then yeah that's great thank you so much for joining us john well thank you thank you for the opportunity and it has been lovely talking to you thank you i told you that you would love john didn't i isn't he absolutely brilliant i just really loved that conversation he is i think one of the wisest retired head teachers that i've ever spoken to and one of the the heads that again I wish I could have worked with because I just love everything that he says I just love his approach I love his philosophy and the advice that he gives is it's just it's just brilliant and so so useful to you that has been a long episode today so if you got to the end of that interview well done <laughs> you made it hopefully it might have taken a few car journeys to and from work to listen to it anyway uh, it's been so so good to talk to John today that's all we've got time for if you do want to get in touch with me I'd be really happy to chat with you about uh, coaching if you think that it might be something that would be really useful for you I do have a couple of spaces for new coaches or clients so email me it's vicky at weleadwell.co.uk or you can visit the website weleadwell.co.uk likewise if you want to join the Women Lead Well Network and we have our next group call which we have half termly that is next tuesday so if you sign up you could join us for that we also have a whatsapp group we've got a facebook group and you just get so much support from from everybody else who's in the network so i will speak to you next time take care of yourself take care of your staff and lead well This episode of the We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with headteacherchats.com, Progressive Masculinity and Schools UK.